conversation about exploring the collaborative space between individuals. I'm Paul Tevis. And I'm Karen Gimnig. Each episode, we start with a question and we see where it takes us. This week's question is, what's your take on leadership fatigue? So this is a question I'm directing to Paul, this what's your take is a thing we do from time to time where one of us arrives with, what do we do with this thing that we're seeing, that I'm, that I'm seeing in this case in my practice, um, and just sort of chew on it together. So the, the situation I'm thinking of, and I can have a few examples of this, but essentially that there's someone in a leadership role who's put in a lot of hours and effort and heart and soul and care, um, trying to make things happen. And typically I see this happen when part of what they're trying to do is help their community learn about and understand consensus processes. Mm -hmm. So there's like trying to lead a thing that everybody says they want to do, but that is actually brand new. And so there's this dual, like there's just the sheer number of hours that gets tiring. And then there's this pushback thing that happens of, but you're always telling us what to do. And why are you telling us what to do? And that's not really consensus and that kind of thing. Because, they're, because they don't yet have a well-formed concept of what actually is the process that they want to use, can use, will use. And, and typically the leaders in this kind of scenario are people who have worked a lot on studying consensus and learning about it. Like, so they have a sense of what other communities like them do or how these things can work. And they then are getting pushback from people who haven't invested in that way. And they just get tired. Yeah. So they love their communities and they want to do it. And, and they often feel like there's not anybody else who could just pick it up. Like if they stopped doing it, then what? So that's the scenario I see from time to time. And I'm curious, what's your take? So there's two things that spring immediately to mind. Um, one of them you've already kind of covered, which is uh, this idea of, of fatigue. But specifically, um, we talk about this as role fatigue. Right? So in any group, we've talked about this before, roles are how groups get stuff done. Right? And and in this case, like the role is around bringing change, right? Helping the group transform. Uh, there's probably a bunch of other stuff too. Uh, that that you know the person who's inhabiting that role is uh, is they're they're probably having multiple roles because um, roles don't directly map to, map to people. But leadership, you know, involves a bunch of different responsibilities, a bunch of different roles that um, are useful and. When we inhabit a particular role for a long period of time, it's very easy for us to develop role fatigue. Um, this is sometimes called role nausea, right? Where, where it's not just that we're tired of it, we're sick of it. And we really like we're And at the same time, we see how important it is to the group. And so we can't let go. And so we, we have are participating in our own uh, fatigue and nausea, right? Because we, we don't trust that anybody else will be able to pick it up. This happened, th like this isn't exclusive to leadership. This happens with, it can happen with any type of role in any type of group. Um, and you've kind of named that dynamic, you know, already, right? 
I'm really tired of this. I've put a lot of effort into it. I'm not seeing the results that I want and I can't set it down. I don't trust that anybody else can take it on. And so because I know it's really important, not just to me, but to the group, I feel caught in this double bind. And, and the thing that happens when we get into that state is we fill the role in a less and less skilled way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and possibly in a more and more irritable way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely a thing that, that sort of happens there. And so that's the second thing. So that's the first thing that I think about is like, that's just normal, like with any type of role. And we, we've talked before about how it's often useful um, to rotate roles and responsibilities and leadership positions and things like that, precisely to avoid that kind of thing. Um, but that's, but that's, so part of it is that's normal. Like normalizing that is actually really useful, uh, I find. Um, and just because I suspect if you talked with any of the, the people who you're working with who are finding themselves in these situations and you just kind of name that dynamic and particularly that last thing that you said about how like they feel like they, they have to hold on to it. They know because it's super important to the group and no one else will pick it up, right? I suspect they'll go, yeah, <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> and there's kind of a relief that goes along with that. But you also named the other thing that happens, which is that, um, and this is particularly true around trying to bring change, right, is that it requires a tremendous amount of emotional stamina um, to, because change is anxiety producing. And particularly when you're trying to shift, when you're acting as a, as a change agent or a change sponsor, you have to have, you have to recognize that that's going to be draining. Um, and have sources of support that are going to be able to help you both inside the group, you know, who are your other allies to help you do that, even if they're not skilled at it, but like, who can you just go to and vent to? Who can you go to and, and say like, what else are you seeing? What are you noticing about how I'm showing up, you know, that I could be doing differently, you know, but people who you know have your back, even if, you know, they want to support you right? Or people outside the, org the organization, the change that you're trying to do. Like, what is it that you need to do to manage, in a lot of ways, just to manage the state of your nervous system as you're trying to bring change um, skillfully into this group? Um, so that's kind of the two things that I, I notice or that I think about um, when I'm working with leaders who are in this situation, which is super common, right? Is just kind of recognizing and naming the dynamic um, that that's normal, but then also figuring out what is it that they can do to manage their own, uh, because their own anxieties around it, their own fatigue around it, because uh, how do they manage their own energy levels? Because uh, the more anxious and or fatigued we get around those things, the less skillful we are, right? The less able to actually be of service to the group um, they are. And so it's not selfish to to do that work, to be able to, to find the ways to get the support and to recharge. You're doing it because it actually makes you more helpful to the group. So those are, the, those are two things that I think about a lot and will name like when I'm working with leaders around this, like how are you doing this? How are you seeing this role? And what are you doing? What are your sources of support? How are you managing your nervous system? How do you manage your anxiety around bringing this change? I'm curious what of those things is landing with you. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, the normalization piece always, I mean, that shows up over and over and over again, um, particularly when people are being criticized and, mm-hmm. you know, getting all that, the pushback often of, you know, and it often shows up in language that's pretty personal. So mm-hmm. that sense of, yep, this happens to everybody, <laughs> happens to every leader, this mm-hmm. is a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the piece about, you know, having places where you can go and vent and talk and work through. And I take that even further of, okay, so maybe you can't hand off the whole thing, but can we get curious about what you can hand off? Like, mm-hmm. is there even some small piece of this that can go somewhere else? Um, so I think that that's in line with what you were saying of have people that you reach out to. And I, and I think the other thing that I'm really thinking about with this and sort of playing with is very often the person in the role owns it, it's my problem. And I really want to encourage folks to understand it's not your problem. It's not one person's problem. Mm-hmm. And that piece of, that you're talking about, people get less skillful, less effective mm-hmm. in the role that they're in. That's not just a problem for me. That's a problem for my whole group when it happens mm-hmm. to me. And half the problem could be that I am trying to solve it by myself. So that sense of, can we take it out and share it with the group and say, my fatigue or nausea is a problem for the group. And as a group, how do we want to address it? Um, what, what do we want to do about this? Which, which isn't the same thing as I think a lot of leaders feel like my, my choice is to keep doing what I'm doing or to quit. Right. And, and if I go to the group and say, you know, should we rotate roles or should we, you know, anything like that, that it comes across as I'm quitting rather than saying as a leader, I'm aware of a problem. And the problem is one I am mostly experiencing. <laughs> the problem is about me, but mm-hmm. it is a problem that, and, and invite the group to own the problem of that mm-hmm. fatigue and strategize. And I'm going to guess that if you do that, there's help available you probably didn't know was available. There, you're doing some things that actually don't need to be done or don't need to be done in as onerous a way, or right, that, that things can be done differently, things can be done by different people, things can simply be not done. Um, and, and none of that, like as we get more and more anxious, our ability to kind of come up with those things and analyze those things and problem solve goes down. That's just neurology more anxious mm-hmm. we are, the less able we are to solve problems. And so if we can take the problem to the group, even if it's a group that, you know, we're absolutely, you know, even if I've told myself completely correctly, nobody else in this group has the time or the ability or whatever to do the role I'm doing, that doesn't mean that the group collectively doesn't have a way to help me. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, uh, trick there is the thing that you just kind of mentioned, which is that this, when we're in this sort of anxious or fatigued state, we least are able to do the thing we most need to, which is find new ways of solving problems, right? Because we, particularly in those fatigued and anxious states, we fall into our habitual patterns, right? That's where we go. They're low energy. They're, su- they're well-worn paths in our, in, our, in our brains. And so we do them. The problem is that that's not where the solution is. If those worked, we wouldn't we wouldn't have this problem right now. We right. need to do something different, but we're so but we are our capacity for doing that, our capacity for creativity, 
in some ways our capacity for taking risks um, is decreased. And it is a risk, right, to, 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 to say, and I, I think you're right on there, um, that this is not my problem, this is our problem, right? I am experiencing it, but it's, it's a problem that the group needs to deal with. It's the group's problem. This is where we get into all of our, you know, acculturation around uh, individualism and the shame of us not being able to, uh, to, to carry the responsibility of this role and things like that. And that's one of the, the hardest pieces for, um, for people who are in leadership roles in particular, right? To be able to say, I need to bring this to the group because I can't do this by myself. Right, I need something else, or or I just need some other thinking partners around how we might approach this. But also, these moments where we realize that what we have been doing isn't going to work anymore, that can be the moment of breakthrough where it's just like, what I've been doing doesn't work. I have to try something else. And it, and that um, that anxiety has actually gotten so acute that it energizes us in a way where we're just like, I got to try something different, as opposed to living with that sort of low-grade chronic sense that this isn't working for a long time. And so that's one of the, the places of like recognizing, is this actually an opportunity to learn this new thing, right? To try this new way. Because sometimes it's just enough, right? Because somebody that they're, they're so tired, they're so exhausted around this thing, they just kind of throw up their hands and say, fine, I'll try taking it to the group. Right? Yeah, and right. It, right. And so that that's another thing to sort of recognize is that like sometimes this is what it takes to create that breakthrough moment, both for the leader and for the group. Yep. Yeah. I, and I think another thing that can lead to a breakthrough moment is when people kind of hit a breaking point around I'm the one holding this, this is the best thing for the group and nobody else is seeing it. And other, I get pushed back all the time. And, you know, people keep like that thing that goes on when as the leader, I may be the one in it and I am seeing the big picture and, and, and maybe I'm not actually, maybe the thing I'm pr proposing isn't actually what would work best for the group, but let's pretend for a minute that it is. Mm -hmm. Let's pretend for a minute that what I'm seeing absolutely is if the group would just do it, that would be the thing that would give the group what the group wants. But if the group doesn't know that, it probably still isn't mm -hmm. the right thing for the group at this moment. And so that space of saying, okay, that's that's gonna have, that's gonna be bad later. Like bad things are gonna happen if we do that later. And when those bad things happen, the group will learn something about it. And like that, that that's the thing that this group needs to do. This, you know, it's sort of like you know, watching a two-year-old, you know, if you go through the puddle, you're going to be wet. And for the rest of the walk, you're going to have wet shoes. And the two-year-old says, I don't care. And there's the moment to just say, okay, they're not going to get hypothermia, but like, right? We're, we're not in danger territory. We're in learning territory. Mm -hmm. But that in leadership, I think, especially as we get more fatigued, more anxious, more worn down, our ability to say, maybe they just need to do it that way. Not because, like, I don't have to convince myself that their way is better. I just have to convince myself that them doing it their way mm -hmm. is necessary. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and if, you know, the other thing I hear in groups, yeah, but there are, there are some people who don't want that. Then let them be the champions. Yeah. 
that <laughs> again, get clear about what your role is. And at some point the group has to take ownership of what's happening. And if you are protecting them from that by creating this thing they can oppose and push against, you may actually be getting in the way of the growth that would make your job easier. Mm -hmm. Because fundamentally what you're talking about is capacity building, right? This leader, these leaders want to build the capacity in the group to be able to do this. And yet at the time when that would be most useful, they are they're reducing the group's ability to increase its capacity, right? They're taking this thing on themselves. And so the other thing that I do find useful in those situations where when we're feeling that we're stuck, right? We've got this problem, it's insoluble, we're, we're in a double bind, we really don't know what to do about it. Like our, our, we will often hyper-focus on solving the problem and, and communicate less and less to the people around us. And the, the useful thing in that is actually to step back from it and do nothing but establish context, right? That it's really just a, you know, if you're gonna bring this to the group, right? It's, it's a, I'm bringing this to the group and I, I don't know what we should do about this, which can be super difficult to say, right? But it's like, you can just say, here's what I know. I want to share what I know about the situation and just do that information sharing. Here's what I've been seeing. Here are the things that I know about what's going on. Just establish the context because you probably haven't been sharing that information. And that's why, and, and the group needs that in order to, you know, to, to actually be able to, to engage in the problem solving with you. But actually, uh, so I find that when, if you are going to try to to change strategy, like the strategy is stop trying to solve the problem, just start explaining the problem, start explaining the situation, the things that you're seeing, the things that you're noticing, get curious then about what other people are seeing, right? What are other perspectives? Because usually the way out of that type of bind is by seeing things, becoming aware of things you weren't aware of before, either you or other people in the group that that increasing the scope and the, 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 of what people can see and people are aware of, that's where the solution actually lives. Um, and so again, that's kind of a way out of the fatigue, but it's also counter to your natural tendency when you're in that state, right? We go to this hyper-focus. Um, I don't remember if I told this story on the show years ago. Uh, I went to a, an improv workshop and the, the improv instructor very specifically at the very beginning had us do a couple of things that we were kind of guaranteed to fail at. They were these different physical tasks. Um, and then he had us uh, notice what we were all doing as we were failing at them, which was basically all of our focus went from here to here. Like we just hyper-focused on the thing we were doing and we weren't looking around at what other people were doing because they were all trying to solve the same problem. And so what happened was there was no cross-pollination of ideas. And, 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 and so he says, yeah, this is really natural that when we get stressed out, we hyper-focus on our own thing and we cut ourselves off from, from other people. We don't notice what they're doing. And he says, in improv, the biggest resource you have for getting out of a jam is your scene partner, the person who's there on stage with you. And if both of you start hyper-focusing on your own thing, you've now reduced the resources that you have in order to be able to get out of the jam. And that applies not just in improv, right? And I think that 
so I think that's a very natural tendency that as we get fatigued and as we get stressed, we cut ourselves off from some of the best resources we have for getting ourselves out of those tricky situations, which is the people around us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one sort of vehicle for that pattern is the, the thing you said about how hard it is to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to broaden that to generally how much we carry shame with us mm-hmm. into spaces around competence, mm-hmm. around needs around right that there if i'm not if i'm not okay if i'm not content with what we have if i'm asking for something if i that there is so much shame in that in our culture that that shame drives the anxiety drives the like that's that pattern again mm-hmm. and so i want to sort of pretend we can take a few steps back from this problem and notice how different it is if we develop a culture where we are sharing things that are failures, that are things we don't know, that are mm-hmm. things we need, that are things we that, that would just work better for us. All of that request yeah. sharing and many, many past episodes covering these topics. <laughs> yes. But as we can get into the vulnerability and because because vulnerability is the antidote to shame, that if we if we want to get out of shame, what we have to do is shine a light on the things that we'd like to be hiding. Mm-hmm which is vulnerable as all get out. It's hard to show up and say, I don't know, or any number of other things that feel shameful to us. And, and for each of us, there are, we each have our own particular set of powerful shame triggers. Mm-hmm. Um, so something that's easy for me may be hard for somebody else, but creating the culture of a safe space that says you can show, you can show up here and say what's true for you. And the response will be the support of the group around mm-hmm. that thing. We may or may not agree with you, but we're gonna get curious with you. We're gonna get interested in you, in what you're saying. We're gonna be concerned about your experience of it, even if it doesn't match our experience of it, that kind of thing, that that all reduces the likelihood of leadership fatigue and increases the likelihood that as leaders are approaching fatigue, that they address it earlier and easier. Mm-hmm. The, the last thing I'll add is that the, the thing that I will often do if I'm working with a leader who's like, I need to do this, right? I need to take this to the, they like, they come to that realization that they need to, to do this different thing um, is kind of going, okay, so what, you know, what do you need to do? What do you actually need to say? What are the words that you want to use? Because, you know, being able to say, I don't know, maybe you're not there yet. Right. And so maybe what you need to, you know, figure out what are the words that are going to for you, you're going to say to the group, I'd like to share some things that I'm seeing because I, I could use some help in doing some problem solving, right? That's effectively saying, I don't know, but without having to use those words. So being able to go, what are the words that you want to use um, that are going to help you, right? That aren't going to trigger you uh, quite so much, or they're, you know, that work in the culture that you're in, um, mm-hmm. where you are now, because absolutely getting to that place where you feel comfortable being vulnerable is where you want to go but I also have to work with people where they are now (laughs) and the culture that they are in now. And so then, you know, kind of working that out, what are you going to say, right? And how do you think people are likely to respond? And so how are you going to want to respond to that? Like doing a little bit of pre-planning, that's the cognitive piece. But then the other piece is the, what is likely to happen in that conversation that would throw you off balance, right? Mm -hmm. That's going to hit one of your triggers, right? That's going to make it so you can't follow that plan anymore, right? That's going to that's gonna cause you to show up in a way that you don't want. And then when, what do you need to do 
when those things happen so that you can get back to that place of balance. So it's both planning about what it is that you want to do or say, but also preparing yourself emotionally for this and knowing where and knowing yourself, where do your triggers show up? What is likely to happen? Who's going to do a thing that's going to, that's going to throw this you know, curveball at you, but you could totally see it coming. You're like, oh, I know that's going to happen. It always does. And then how do you recenter and get back to that place of, of being able to try to move forward for it? That, as opposed to just walking in with no plan and no prep at all. <laughs> um, so that's something that I will sometimes work with leaders with, particularly when there's, they're in this place of fatigue or anxiety where they really need to do something different. They need to get ready and grounded and know what they're going to do and, and be ready to respond to the things that are likely to come up for them. Um, in the in that situation. And when they do that, they have a much better chance of actually moving forward with this than it, than they would otherwise. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. So what I'm hearing you say is uh, one thing is to normalize leadership fatigue, leadership nausea, role fatigue, whatever the role you're in. These are all real and normal things that happen in groups. Um, let's make it a problem that belongs to the group and not the individual, be, be willing to say, I don't know, or whatever is the thing that needs to be said. Um, expect there to be some vulnerability in this that's going to be necessary to get through it. Um, and recognize that when I'm in that space of fatigue and, and anxiety, my ability to solve the problem is narrowed, my ability to work through the problem is narrowed, and I I'm going to end up in a stuck place if I don't find a way to ask for help. And then the last thing is figure out what's the safe way to ask for help. So find a way to be safe enough to be vulnerable, getting support from people outside the group, allies within the group, you know, a coach, whoever it is that will help walk you through it so that when you go into that conversation, you're prepared to do it well. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for us for today. Until next time, I'm Paul Tevis. And I'm Karen Gimnig. And this has been Employing Differences. <laughs>